Section 32 of the Algonquin Legends of New England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary in Arkansas. The Algonquin Legends of New England, or Myths and Folklore of the Micmac, Passamaquoddy, and Penobscot Tribes by Charles Godfrey Leland. Section 32. The Partridge. The Adventures of the Great Hero Polowich or the Partridge. Micmac. Weeyegek Kaseyuk. A Tale of Old Times. Two men once lived together in one wigwam in the woods on the border of a beautiful lake. Many hardwood trees made their pictures in it. One of these Indians was Pulowich, the partridge, in the Micmac tongue, but who was called by the Passamaquoddy, Michahess, but the other was Weejuk, Micmac, the tree partridge. Now it befell that one day Pulowich was walking along the shore when it was winter, and he beheld three girls, fair and fine, with flowing hair sitting on the ice, braiding their locks. Then he knew that they were of the fairy kind who dwell in the water, and verily these were plentier of old than they are now, to our sorrow, be it said, for they were good company for the one who could get them. And Pulowich, knowing this, said, I will essay this thing, and perchance I may catch one or two of them, which will be a great comfort, for a pretty girl is a nice thing to have about the wigwam. So he sought to secure them by stealing softly along, but one cried, Nimiha Sikdep, I see a man, Passamaquoddy, and they all went head over heels, first best time into the water, and verily that was a cold duck for December in the Bay of Fundy. But though Pulowich had never hunted for sea-girls, yet he had fished for seals who were greatly akin unto them, being almost as slippery, and wotting well that no man hath the mitten till he is refused thirty times and many more, he went about it in another wise. For this time he got many fir-boughs, strewing them about as if blown by the wind, and hiding himself behind them, again came up and made a sudden dart. Then the maids, crying as before, Nimihaskadap, I see a man, went into a dive into the deep. But this time he caught, if not the hair, at least the hair-string of the fairest, which remained in his hand. And gazing on this, it came into his mind that he had got that which was her charm, or life, and that she could not live without it, or her cherished Tsajkultobi, Micmac, and taking it home, he tied it to the place in the wigwam above that wherein he slept. Footnote. The magic hair-string plays a part in many of these tales. It belongs to the sorcery of all the world, in all ages. End footnote. Nor had he waited long before she came, and, with little ado, remained with him as his wife. Now Pulowich, being himself addicted to sorcery, knew that there were divers knaves of the same stamp prowling about the woods, who would make short work of a wife if they could find a plump young one in the way, they being robbers, ravishers, and cannibals withal. Therefore he warned his bride to keep well within doors when he was away, and to open to none, which she, poor soul, meant to obey with all her might. But being alone at midnight, and hearing a call outside, even Pantakdui, Micmac, opened the door to me. She wondered greatly who it might be, and it was a very wicked wizard, Boadin, or Powwow, and he, 
being subtle and crafty, and knowing of her family, so imitated the voices of her brothers and sisters, beseeching her to let them in, that her very heart ached. "'Oh, sister, we have come from afar,' they cried. "'We missed you and have followed you. Let us in.' And yet again she heard a sad and very earnest voice, and it was that of her old mother, crying, "'Natus, Reftus, Pantatue, Micmac. "'My daughter, my daughter, open unto me.' and she verily wist that it must be so. But when she heard the voice of her dear old father shaking and saying, Pantado iluk ke awichi, open the door, for I am very cold, she could resist no more, and springing up, opened it to those who were without. And then the evil sorcerers, springing on her like mad wolves, dragged her away and devoured her. They did not leave two of her little bones, one with another. Footnote this indian little red riding hood story is very effective the wolfish sorcerers bursting in at midnight are even more terrible from a nursery melodramatic point than the old wolf in bed End footnote. now when widjek the tree partridge came in and found his friend's wife gone he was so angry that without waiting he set forth to seek her and this was not wisely done since falling among them he was himself slain then Pulowich, returning last of all, and finding no one, sought by means of magic to know where friend and wife might be. For taking a woltus, or a wooden dish, he rilled it with water, and charmed it with a spell, and placed it in the back part of his wigwam, just opposite the door. So he laid him down to sleep, and in the morning when he arose he looked up on the dish, even the dish of divination, and lo, it was half full of blood. Then he knew that the twain had been murdered. Then gathering all his arms, he went forth for revenge, and passed many days on the path, tracking the Buwan, and having the eyesight of sorcery, he one day beheld very far away, upon the exceeding high cliff, the knee of a man sticking out of the stone, and knew that a sorcerer had hidden himself in the solid rock, even as a child might hide itself in a pile of feathers. Then throwing his tomahawk, he cut away the knee, and the Buwan, his spell broken, remained hard and fast forever in the ledge. And yet anon, a little further on, he saw a foot projecting from a wall, and this he likewise cut off, and with that he had slain too. And as he went further, he found by the way a little poor squirrel, even Miko, who was crawling along, half dead, in sorry plight. And taking her up, he made her well, and placing her in his bosom, he said, Rest there yet a while, Miko, for thou must fight to-day, and that fiercely. Yet fear not, for I will stand by thee, and when I tap thy back, then shalt thou bring forth thy young. Then going ever on, he saw from the mountains far, in a lake below, a flock of wild geese sporting merrily, even the Senemquak. But he wist right well that these were also of the Buwadan, whom he sought, and placing a spell on his bow, and singing a charm over his arrows that he should not miss, he slew the wild fowl one by one and tying their heads together he carried them in a bunch up on his back and truly he deemed it a good bag of game for one day and yet further on he went to a wigwam and entering it saw a man there seated whom he knew at once was of the enemy for he who sat there glared at him grimly he did not say to him kuktak um ugwa come higher up as they do who are hospitable but having cooked some meat and giving it in a dish to Pulwich's hand, he snatched it back again, 
and said he would sooner give it to his dog. And this he did more than once, saying the same thing, but Pulowich kept quiet. Then the rude man said, Hast thou met with aught to-day, thou knave? And the guest replied, Truly I saw a fellow's knee sticking out of a stone, and I cut it off, and yet anon I saw a foot coming from a rock, and this I also chopped. And further on there was a flock of wild geese, and them I slew. There was no one left, no, not one. And if you will look without there, you may see them all dead, and much good may it do you. Then the savage sorcerer burst forth in all his rage. Come on, then, our dogs must fight this out. Thou sayest well, replied Pulowich, truly I am fond of a good dog-fight, so bring out thy pup. And that which the man brought forth was terrible, for it was no dog but a hideous savage beast, known to Micmacs if the Wysum. Footnote, the Amorak of the Eskimo. End footnote. But that which Pulowich produced was quite as different from a dog as it was from the Wysum, for it was only Miko, a poor little squirrel, and half-dead at that, which he laid carefully before the fire, that it might revive. Footnote. In another version of this story, the savage stranger puts up a real dog against the squirrel, and, in the story of Glooskap, it is that great man who makes the squirrel great or small. End footnote. But anon it began to revive, and grew until it was well nigh as great as the Wysum, and then there was indeed a battle as of devils and witches. He who had been a hundred miles away might have heard it. But anon it seemed that the Wysum was getting the better of Miko. Then Pulowich did but tap the squirrel on the back, and lo, she brought forth two other squirrels, and these grew in an instant to be as large as their mother, and the three were soon too many for the beast. Ho, call off your dogs, cried the Buowin, you have beaten. But spare mine, since, indeed, he does not belong to me, but to my grandmother, who is very fond of him. Footnote. This trivial episode of begging a call-off seems to have deeply impressed the Indians, who were generally sporting men, since I find it in both the Passamaquoddy and Micmac versions of the legend. End footnote. But this Pulowich, who held to his own in all things like a wolverine, was the last man alive to think of, and he encouraged the squirrels until they had torn the Wysum to rags. Then he who had staked it bitterly lamented, saying, Alack, my poor grandmother, alas how she will wail when she hears that her Wysum is dead. Woe the day that ever I did put him up, alas, my grandmother! For all which the cruel Pulowich, the hard-hearted, impenitent partridge, did not care the hair of a dead muskrat. Now the host, who had thus suddenly grown so tender-hearted, said, Let us sail forth upon the river in a canoe. Then they were soon on the stream, and rushing down a rapid like a dart, and anon they came to a terribly high cliff, in which there was a narrow cavern, into which the river ran, and on it, thundering through this door of death, borne on a boiling surge, the bark was forced furiously into darkness. And Pulowich sat firmly in his seat, and steered the boat with steady, certain hand. But just as he entered the horrible hole, glancing around, he saw the sorcerer leap ashore. For the evil man, believing that no one had ever come alive out of the cavern, had betrayed him into it. Yet ever cool and calm the mighty man went on, for danger now was bringing out all the force of his magic. And soon the stream grew smoother, the rocks disappeared from its bed, 
and then from afar there was a brightness, and he was soon in the daylight and sunshine on a beautiful stream, and by the banks thereof there grew the Webigpescum, or water-lilies, and very pleasant it was to him to feel the wind again. So using his paddle he saw a smoke rising from a cave in the rocks, and landing and softly stepping up, heard talking within. Footnote. It is very characteristic of the heroes of these Indian tales that they gradually unfold or develop from small characteristics to very great ones. There is a lesson in this, and it has been perfectly appreciated by poets and similar sorcerers. End footnote. Nor had he listened long ere he knew the voice of the man who had lured him into the canoe, and he was telling his grandmother how, one after the other, all the best bowmen of their band had been slayed by a mighty sorcerer. But when she heard from him how her beloved, or the one who had inspired the Wysum, had been beaten, her wrath burst forth in a storm like the raving of devils, like a mad wind on the waves. And she said, If Pulowetch were but before me, were he but alive, I would roast him. The man hearing this cried, Ay, but he is not alive, for I sent him afloat down into the dark cavern. And then Pulowetch, stepping in before them, said, And yet I am alive, and do, thou woman, Baxel Buxtok, roast me to death. Then she scowled horribly at him, but he said naught, and he, sitting down, looked at them. This woman was of the porcupines, who are never long without raising their quills, and they are fond of heat. Now there was in the cave much hemlock bark, and this she began to heap on the fire. Then it blazed, it crackled and roared, but Pulowetch sat still and said naught, neither did his eyes change. And he called unto himself all his might, the might of his magic did he awaken, and the spirit came unto him very terribly, so that all the Buowen, with their vile black witchcraft, were but as worms before him, the great and terrible one. And when the fire had burned low, he brought in by his will great store of bark, so that the whole cave was filled, and closing the door he lighted the fuel. Then the porcupines, who were those who had slain his wife and friend, howled for mercy, but he was deaf as a stone to their cries. Then the roof and sides of the cavern cracked with the heat, the red-hot stones fell in heavy blocks, the red flames rose in the thickest smoke, but Pulowek set and sang his song until the witch and wizard were burned to cinders, yea, till their white bones crumbled to ashes beneath his feet, and then he arose and went unto his home. Footnote. In this Micmac legend, which is plainly a poem, there is one very striking and original element in the art with which the great knowledge and power of Pulowitch are kept out of sight until towards the final unfolding. When he picks up the squirrel, it is with a full comprehension that he will be confronted with a wysum. From the beginning to the end he is master of the situation. All goes on with him like the unfolding of a fate in a Greek tragedy, until the end, when, stern and unpitying, he sits in the cavern of fire and sees his enemies roasted alive before him. From the Rand Manuscript. End footnote. In this legend the hero passes the mysterious river which separates in several Indian tales the extraordinary world from that where the evil giants, Jotuns, sorcerers, or witches live. It appears to correspond exactly to the stream called Iflig, which divides the earth between the Jotuns and the gods. Edda, Fafthrud, Nismal, 16. 
the attempt by the porcupine host to roast the guest alive and its failure bears a marked likeness to the scene in the grimness mall in which king jared vainly strives to roast his guest odin and is himself slain fire thou art hot and much too great flame let us separate the grandeur of odin and the behavior of the indian are set forth in a strikingly similar manner in both narratives if any modern poet had depicted this incident in so like a style every critic would have cried out plagiarism end of section thirty two